If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to Exodus chapter 6. Uh, we'll be there uh, here in just a few minutes. Over the last several weeks, you've been hearing, um, John talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John, and um, we've hit it several times throughout this new year of 2021, uh, but you've heard us talk about the Bible study, Christianity Explained. It's a six-week Bible study that, that just does that. It explains Christianity over six weeks and just really tries to, like, you know, um, push aside some of the, the dross that's become associated with Christianity and some of the straw men arguments that people throw at it and just seek to kind of understand, like, what are the basics of Christianity? Like, if you boil it down, like, to the, to the core things that, that a Christian is to believe, what, what is it that a Christian believes? That is what Christianity Explained walks through over six weeks. And so you read the Gospel of Mark as you do that, and it's something I would encourage any of you to pick up. We've got copies of them here. You can send us, uh, we'll, we can even mail them to you, those of you who are watching from another place, if you, if you would so desire. But it's something I encourage everybody to go through, and particularly to go through with a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, like this is part of our calling as Christians, something that Christians believe, for those of you who are just kind of exploring that, is that we believe we are to share the gospel. We are actually commanded by Jesus himself to make disciples. And so we want to share that. And so certainly if you are watching today and you're just kind of exploring Christianity, thinking about it, or, or you're somehow on here today and you're like, I'd like to know, like, what is it you actually, you crazy people actually do believe? Well, you know, send us a note. Be glad to see if we could get together in some way. In person's better. Um, but if we need to, we can, you know, video and those sorts of things. And just walk through this idea of Christianity explained. But it's just that, that the, the basics of Christianity. What is it that Christians believe? And in a lot of ways, Exodus 6 and the first few verses of chapter 7 can serve us as kind of a you know, Christianity explained even from the book of Exodus. Because there's just a slew of words in here that if you have any background in the church, any background in Christianity, familiarity at all, these words are going to kind of pop off the page at you because they are pointers to the gospel. They point directly to the gospel. And so you can almost think of it as kind of like a song. Like there's the gospel song and these are the first few notes of the song. Because you know how it works. Like if you have a song that you're really, really familiar with, like when you hear the first few notes, you hear the first few beats of the song, like you don't even have to know the rest of it. Like you know where it's going automatically. And so, for example, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. So all you Alabama fans, here you go. When you hear, you know, one, two, three, four, do, 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 like you know where that song's going and you don't even have like you hear it you know where it's going that's exactly how these words are kind of here from exodus 6 and 7 you hear them any background it should point you forward to the fulfillment of the gospel song even though these are just a couple of first few notes of the song and so this morning that's what i want to do i just want to kind of share with you these gospel notes these words, these concepts that really kind of explain Christianity. Like really just, if you don't know what Christianity really is, 
these words help give you a description of what it is we believe. And so let me just kind of set some context, and then we'll look at these in particular. And so what's going on here, Exodus 5, the way Exodus 5 wound up is Moses goes to Pharaoh, as God had told him. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do it. In fact, because you even asked that, I'm going to make their life miserable, and it's going to be even worse. And so Pharaoh does that exact thing, and all the Israelites turn on Moses. They hate him now. They blame him for what has happened to them. And then Moses himself turns to God and says, God, what are you doing? Even though God had told him, hey, you're going to go to Pharaoh. He's not going to let you go. This is all part of my plan. Just stay with it. But Moses, you know, I guess Moses missed that part or he ignored that part like we do so often. We read God's word. We ignore the parts that we don't like. And so Moses is blaming God. God, what are you doing? What's going on? And chapter 6 is God's reply to Moses. And I want you to notice, God does not come heavy-handed at Moses here. But He does come with a heavy emphasis. And it's an emphasis on, like, Moses, do do you not know who I am? I am the Lord. All caps, which means Yahweh. Like, I am Yahweh. You remember burning bush? I am Yahweh. He says it four times in here. Moses, remember, like, calm down, buddy. Remember who I am. I am God. Self-existent, self-caused, in need of nothing, in control of all things, all-knowing, all-powerful. Not bound by anything, not even time. There are no constraints on me, Moses. I am Yahweh. Know this, son. Calm down. I got this. And I will do my work. And it's in these promises of what he will do that we find all of these words of gospel notes, all of these words that really help explain Christianity, all of these words that point to Jesus. And so let's just look at it together. So Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, again, all caps, wherever you see that, that means Yahweh. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Say therefore to the people of Israel, and here we go with all of the gospel notes, all right? In fact, I want you to grab a pen or a pencil right now, and I want you to underline every single time you see the word, I will, and then whatever comes after it, all right? Underline every single time you see, I will. This is what we're going to camp out on. Verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and here we go, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession, I am the Lord. Now look also over at chapter 7. We're going to talk about Moses' genealogy in the weeks to come as it relates to who he's kin to, the descendant of Levite, the third son of Jacob. That's what the rest of the chapter is pretty much about. But chapter 7, verse 1, look there with me. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But, here we go, underline. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And so if you join me in underlining, you should have nine separate places where you underline, I will, you know, whatever... It is after that. Nine of those. But you can really pare those down to to five different statements, five different words, five different opening gospel notes, five different concepts that help explain Christianity. And the first one, gospel note number one in your notes, is this. It's the word liberation liberation. That's what the first two I will statements out of chapter 6, verse 6 are all about. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And so at its most basic level, like this is what salvation is. Salvation is being freed from slavery. It's being delivered from captivity. And so God is going to save His people from their slavery to Egypt, their bondage. He's going to deliver them by grace through faith because they don't do anything to earn this. He just does it for them out of kindness and grace. I mean, as we get into it in the weeks to come, you're going to see in a lot of of ways God drags them out kicking and screaming, hey, we want to go back to Egypt. 
We want to go back to our sin. We want to go back to be a dog returning to our vomit. But the true and better liberation that Exodus points to is not a temporary freedom from slavery, but a permanent freedom from sin and death. Galatians 1.4 says that Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And just like in Exodus, He does this by grace through faith. We don't do anything to merit this liberation. It is something that He gives to us in His kindness and in His grace. And just as He's doing this for the Israelites to set them free that they might worship, so He sets us free that we might worship as well. And so if you're just exploring Christianity, one of the words you want to know, one of the things you want to understand, Christianity is very much about liberation. Liberation from our sin. Because like it or not, like we are all slaves to sin. Born into it. We, you know, carry it out on our own actions as well. But by nature, we are sinners. And so you need to understand this. We, like, we are not sinners because we sin. It's the, it's the reverse. We sin because we are inherently sinners. Like outside of Christ, we can't not sin. That's why you don't have to teach a baby to lie. You don't have to teach a baby to not share. You don't have to teach a baby to throw a temper tantrum. This comes naturally. This is who we are. We have inherited this from Grandpa Adam and Grandma Eve. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And Jesus comes to liberate us, to set us free. And that takes us right into the second major word here that helps explain Christianity. Gospel note number two, and that word is redemption. Redemption. Look at the third I will statement that you should have underlined there in chapter 6, verse 6. It says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And this is exactly what we're going to see play out, particularly next week. Like, when you get to like the, you know, one of the moments of the book of Exodus, the, the plagues. Next week we'll be talking about the plagues, and, and God is going to do this. He's going to redeem them with His outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. And so He's going to act mightily to redeem or recover ownership of His people. And it's the same with the true and better exodus that Jesus provides. Jesus came not only to liberate us, but to redeem us, to buy us back from our sin, to pay the debt we owed to God for our sin, the wrath that God has towards sin. So let me just kind of unpack this. Like, if you were, you know, Christian explained, we're given all these words, but if we we're going to boil it down to the gospel, here is the gospel, the good news, but it starts with bad news. Bad news I've already hit on a little bit. We're sinners. Every single one of us. 
We have sins of omission where we don't do what God has called us to do. We have sins of commission where we do the very things that God's told us not to. We are sinners. God, on the other hand, is holy, sovereign, high and lifted up. He is over us. He is authority. And so whenever we do, that's what sin is. Sin is rebelling against God. And all of us are rebel creatures. Every single one of us. So there's no like people that are better than, you know, better than others, whatnot. All of us are in the same boat. We are all, like there's no bad guys and good guys. There's bad guys and there's Jesus. And Jesus is our hope. And so we're all sinners. God is holy. That, that oil and vinegar there will not mix. And so God in grace, because He is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, rich in mercy, rich in mercy, sent Jesus to come and live a perfect sinless life that none of us have lived. We've all blown it. So Jesus has come and He does it for us. He is a substitute for us. He lives a perfect, holy, sinless life. And then that sin debt we still owe, He lays down His life in our place as a substitute again. A substitute payment for our sin. And so what happens on the cross is all of our sin is placed on Jesus. All of Jesus' perfect sinless righteousness is given, credited to us by no action of ourselves. This is the grace and mercy of God working in salvation. And so Jesus suffers and dies on the cross in our place for our sins. And then three days later, He raises again because sin cannot hold Him the grave cannot keep him. He defeats them. He raises victorious. And in him we have forgiveness. Sin has been atoned for. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. And yet there's more to this word redemption. In, in Hebrew... The term redeemed sometimes comes with a connotation that there is a privilege, like that, that redemption is a privilege or a duty of a close relative to jump in and help the family when tragedy strikes, when there is not uh, someone to, in, there is not um, so, an, an heir to the family, or tragedy strikes, and, and, and so this kinsman redeemer is to carry out justice and so our students students if you're watching you i mean you know this parents you should know this as well but our students are going through the book of ruth right now a short little four chapter old testament book that chad is teaching through they're gathering on wednesdays in this room social distant the whole nine yards but in that book ruth is going to meet a guy named boaz and Boaz, this is who he is. He is a kinsman redeemer. He is the family protector. He is the family champion who comes in, has a privilege, has a duty to bring redemption and help in the midst of a tragedy that's happened. Dear friends, God is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He's the ultimate family protector, family champion. 
And so when His people were in bondage, when they were in slavery, He came as a Redeemer to defend and intervene and avenge and rescue them. And He does the same thing for us today. Buying us back from our deserved wrath, but also intervening on our behalf over and over and over and over. Why? Because He loves us. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And that brings us right into our third note of this gospel song. A third big word that helps explain Christianity. And it's the word adoption. Adoption. Look at verse 7 here in chapter 6. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, right? Your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so, I will take you to be my people, is what it says. This verse shows the familial uh, aspect of salvation. God was going to take Israel as His people. Now, He's already called them His Son back in chapter 4, but he's, He's preparing to adopt them. We'll see this formally when we get to Exodus chapter 19. But I would argue of all the doctrines that we've mentioned thus far or will mention today, all the Gospel notes that we're going to talk about, Adoption is the heart of the gospel and the covenant. The covenant that he remembers, it's all about adoption. See, in redemption, God has rescued us from a dreadful situation, but through adoption, God brings us into his family. It's one of the greatest pictures of the gospel. This idea of adoption. And so all throughout Scripture you see calls and commands of God to care for the orphan. Care for the fatherless. That that is what we are to do as Christians in mimicking our Lord. Because all of those calls, all of those commands find their genesis in what God has done for us. And that the fact that He has adopted us, that we too were once orphans and have been, if we have trusted in Jesus, have been adopted. And we too were once helpless, that none of us, no one in history has ever been a natural born child of God. We are all adopted. If you are in Christ, you have been adopted into His family. That's why John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were, not, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so it's like God saw us 
in our helplessness. He heard our cry in the night. Daddy, come help me. And He came. A Father, we sang it this morning, a Father was coming for us. And He's brought us into His family with all the struggles and difficulty and baggage and emotional issues that each one of us brings with us because we all have those. And as His sons and daughters, He doesn't merely tolerate us. Be grateful I adopted you. No, He loves us. Zephaniah talks about how he rejoices over us. He exults over his people, not because we're awesome, but because of just how incredibly awesome and amazing and loving he is. His kindness is on display here, not our worthiness. His goodness and his grace. So he doesn't merely tolerate you if you are his child. He doesn't. Like, fight that. That is not from Scripture. He doesn't tolerate you. If you are His, He loves you. You are now His son or His daughter. And He loves you. This is why we can cry, Abba, Father, like, Abba means Papa, means Dad. It's a, it's, a, it's a word of affection. Galatians 4 puts it like this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved. Here's that slavery, right? We're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God, so here's Christmas, sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the wall, to, here's our word a minute ago, redeem those who were under the wall so that we might receive adoption as sons. And that's, the, the, that's masculine and feminine. Sons and daughters, we'll just say sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So, verse 7, you are no longer a slave. Hear this, people. But a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Adoption. One of the greatest pictures of the gospel. It is what has happened to all of us who are now, who've been made his people. We've been adopted. And that last word there in verse 7, and if a son, then an heir through God. That word heir takes us right into the fourth major idea, the fourth big word, the fourth gospel note, the fourth concept that helps explain Christianity that we see in Exodus chapter 6. And that word, number four, is inheritance. Inheritance. That's what verse 8 of Exodus 6 highlights. And so look at verse 8 with me. 
I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. Now, this promise was first mentioned to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 as part of what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And after Exodus, like after it happens, they leave Egypt, and then after they wander for 40 years in the desert, book of Joshua, they will actually take possession of this promised land. But the major point is like they had nothing. They were slaves in Egypt But God adopts them and gives them an inheritance. He's going to give them the promised land all by grace. They don't earn it. Like, you're going to see, like, the the, the Israelites constantly don't believe God. It's by grace that God does these things for his people, then and now. But that inheritance that they have, the Israelites have here. The, the promised land. That was just kind of like a foreshadowing of a much greater inheritance that the people of God would someday have. The inheritance that, that we have, the inheritance, in fact, that, that, that they have as well. It's all, it's all the same. A greater inheritance than just a sliver of land in the Middle East, but rather eternal life in resurrected, glorified bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. That's an inheritance that we have. In fact, this is, this is what the promised land of the Old Testament was pointing to all along. And so join me in Hebrews chapter 11 if you have a Bible. If not, just listen. I'll, put, I'll begin reading in verse 8. And then I'll immediately turn to Revelation 21. And so beginning in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So there's a word. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking, listen to this, forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Right? He's doing this by faith. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she was considered from faith, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Listen to me. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city, right? Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the 
holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Friends, this is the inheritance that we have. Like if you are just exploring Christianity, you want to know like our hope and our hope is in heaven, where our hope is ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. We are looking forward to that day. And the Lord gives good gifts in this life right now, but none of them can compare to that day. I remember when I was growing up, I went to VBS at the church that I attended growing up. And we sang all kinds of, of crazy songs. And I mean, it was, you know, the whole nine yards, Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag, Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible, all those things. But one of the songs that I still remember that, that we sang is we sang a lot of kind of old gospel songs. And it was a song that t- just says, uh, I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. And it just goes on and you get to do Lord, do Lord, do remember me, hallelujah. And you got people standing up and sitting down, standing up and sitting down. But that whole idea of, I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Like that's where we set our hope. That's what we look forward to. Like in this life, when we have trials, when we have difficulties, yes, we want to see the Lord deliver us from those. But ultimately, our hope isn't in circumstantial deliverance. It's in Christ who has promised to resurrect us and give us eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. We need to look away beyond the blue as the song goes. Or to put it another way, John Newton, uh, who's the author of Amazing Grace, former captain of a slave ship, became a Puritan pastor in England, wrote a ton of hymns, one of which is Amazing Grace. He tells a story of how like, we are to face troubles in this life understanding the inheritance that we have coming. He tells a story uh, of it being like someone who has been given an inheritance of millions and millions and millions of dollars, but they have to travel to New York to get it. And so as they travel to New York and they make their way from London across the sea and, and, and get in a carriage or whatever, and they're just... Their carriage breaks down a mile away from New York. That person, like, he goes on to ask, can you imagine that person kicking and screaming and complaining about his broken carriage? Oh, my broken carriage! Oh, my broken carriage! 
when he's a mile away from his inheritance. Friends, we're just a couple miles away from our inheritance. And so keep your sight there. Keep your, your vision on Christ and what He has done for us and what He has given to us. We have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Keep going. We're just a couple miles away. Let's keep going. And so that brings us to our fifth and final gospel note. Big word that points to the gospel. Big, big words, there's actually two in this one, that help explain Christianity, serve as gospel notes, the first few. And so number five in your notes, write judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy. We see these in the last two I will statements that you've got underlined. And these are the ones that are in chapter 7. And so look at chapter 7 with me, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you, Moses. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, remember he's adopted them, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know, just like he's been telling them you need to know, they will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And so what God is wanting Moses and us to see is again, that He is the Lord. That He is God. That there is no arms race in heaven. That our biggest bombs are like caps in God's pistol. That our biggest computers are the tinker toys of heaven. Like there's no comparison here. Jesus is all powerful over all things and God is God alone. Period. Period. And in the end, he will be glorified by all people. For you see, there are two ways that we see in this passage that you can know the Lord. Two ways to know the Lord. First, you may know Him by experiencing His mercy in salvation. That's one way. The other way that you can know the Lord is by experiencing His wrath in judgment. But ultimately, in the end, Philippians 2 puts it like this, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the brass tacks here is that you are going to bow to God one way or the other. Everybody is. And so you can bow as a trophy of His grace or you can bow as a trophy of His judgment, but bow you will. 
Everybody will bow. And either way, you will glorify God, either by highlighting His grace and mercy or by highlighting His justice and judgment. And so even the most hardened heart, Pharaoh-like heart that goes, forget you God, I want nothing to do with you, in the end, is going to bring glory to the name and the power and the justice and the goodness and the rightness of God. And you can rail your fist at Him all you want. But that doesn't change the truth. And up against the God of the universe is not railing your fist against Him, not pretty pathetic anyhow. And so listen to me, God offers mercy. He offers mercy. But where we spurn that, over and over and over and over and over, like Pharaoh, He will eventually bring judgment and a hardening of heart. And God will deal with His enemies either by drowning them as we'll see, or by redeeming them through the cross. And so here in Exodus, the Egyptians reject God's Word over and over and over. But still, even later, Isaiah 19, there's a promise from God that Egypt itself one day will be part of God's people. And that's what we want for our enemies, right? We want our enemies. We pray for our enemies. We love our enemies. We want to see our enemies become followers of Jesus and be transformed. We don't want to be like Jonah and Nineveh. God, don't save them. How dare you? Right? We want them to know the real God as Savior. And so God is giving time right now for people to repent and believe. Maybe even you who are watching this right now. He's giving you time. He hasn't killed you yet. He's giving you time to repent and believe. And so repent and believe. Like there is coming a time where time will run out. When you die, there's no second chance after death. There's coming a time where time will run out on you. The clock is ticking. Don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Confess, believe, trust in Christ. Don't be like Pharaoh. Trust Christ. He is the liberator who has freed us from our sins by His blood. He is the redeemer who has paid the costly price of our sin by suffering and dying in our place for our sin. He's the one through whom we can be adopted into the family of God. And it is by His resurrection that we have, as Peter put it, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Friends, Jesus is the one who has turned all these I wills of the gospel into the I have done it or the it is finished. And so trust Him. He's completed the gospel song. 
the notes that, that, that preceded and pointed for it, He's come, He's lived, He's died, He's resurrected, He's completed the gospel song. The notes have reached their crescendo. And what's left for me and you to do is to know that He is the Lord. Salvation belongs to God. He does it all. All we need to do is know that He is the Lord. And trust Him. And so would you do that today? Would you trust Him today if you do not know Him? If you'd like to talk about what that looks like, if you want to go through Christianity Explained with someone from the church, we'd be glad to make that happen. Help you in any way we can to trust the Lord Jesus. But if you're exploring Christianity, just kind of thinking about what it's all about, well, here are five major concepts. Liberation. Christianity is about that. Christianity is about redemption. It's about adoption. It's about an inheritance. And it's about judgment and mercy. Those gospel notes point forward to the fullness of the gospel, which is all about Jesus, who offers mercy. But there is judgment. Trust Him. He's holding out mercy to you. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for anyone who is watching today who does not yet know You as Lord and Savior, that they would do just that, that they would trust You, that they would admit that they are a sinner, that they would believe that Jesus is the only way, that He is the Son of God, Jesus, that you came and you lived and you died in our place for our sins, paying the penalty we owe, you resurrected in victory over that. And that they would confess with their mouths that Jesus is Christ. And then plug into a local church where they can be discipled as we are called to be discipled and to disciple others. And so, Spirit, would you work even now as people in their own homes, on their own devices, on their own television sets, are thinking about these things. For those who are already believers, Lord, I pray that you would remind them of these great truths. Lord, I pray that you would really entrench in their hearts, particularly this idea of adoption. I think so often we, we know the ideas of liberation or redemption, but we forget, Lord, that you don't just tolerate us. You actually love us. We forget that. Remind us and change us. And then Father calls us to be the, those people who love others, who go leave our comfort zone and, and adopt others into our own lives. point others to the gospel. Father, thank you for being faithful and good. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name, amen.